Welcome to Fraud Busting. I'm Tracy Brown, the Fraud Busting Body Language Expert. I've spent the last 20 years reading people, uncovering secrets hidden in plain sight to find the truth in crimes, politics, and billion dollar business deals. It's time to dive in so you can beat the fraudsters at their own game and build your bottom line. Dave Lieber visits with me on fraud busting today. He's the consumer watchdog columnist for the Dallas Morning News and fills us in on what happened in 2005 to increase consumer fraud and what the most crooked business in the country is now. And he reveals exactly how to get big companies who've done you wrong to make it right. We also talk about the power of storytelling in business and about his two new live plays. He's fascinating. After listening, you're going to want to be sure to get his book, Watchdog Nation. Enjoy. Hi, it's Tracy. Just a quick thought. What would you do with $4? With that same money, a hacker can buy all of your info. I mean, social security number, credit card numbers, passwords, health insurance info, and yes, even your kids' information. Now, I've searched around on the dark web, and it's a good bet your info is out there for sale waiting to be used. If you're lucky, it'll just be a few charges to your credit card. But smart hackers are tapping into your credit to buy TVs, cars, houses, use your medical insurance, and even take over your banking and investment accounts, effectively kicking you out of your own accounts. You're the one that's going to be stuck with this big problem have mystery bills due, and need to get your money back while repairing your good credit. Now, the folks at ID Shield know this and have the solution. I've teamed up with them on their ID theft insurance. It's comprehensive, it's inexpensive, and it will let you rest easy. They will replace any money you lost, give you access to their team of licensed private investigators to do whatever it takes to repair your credit score. Yep, They'll do the heavy lifting and spend all the hours on the phone and the time it takes to restore your online reputation to pre-breach levels. You, your money, and your reputation are worth more than $4. Treat yourself like it. Go to fraud-busting.com slash idshield to learn more and get covered today. It's fraud-busting.com slash idshield. We'll see you on the protected side when you get there. Dave, thank you so much for coming on Fraud Busting today. I'm just, I'm just thrilled that you took the time to, to join me. Well, you know, I'm a big fan of yours. I saw you give a speech last year, and I wrote an article about you in the Dallas Morning News. And, you know, I think you're one of the best speakers in America. Oh, that well, means a lot to me. Oh, I love it. So we have a mutual admiration society going on. And you're in my hometown of Dallas. That's where I grew up and um, spent a lot of time reading the Dallas Morning News. And uh, well, so why don't you tell us, what are you up to now? And because uh, you're up to a lot of things that, that I want to talk about. And, you know, some pertaining to fraud and some just other cool stuff that you're doing. So take it away. Let us know who you are. Well, I write a column for the Dallas Morning News called The Watchdog, and I've been doing it there for seven years, and before that, I did it for 20 years in uh, the Fort Worth Star-Telegram, and then before that, I worked 10 years at the Philadelphia Inquirer. So this is my 45th year, you know, as a working journalist, and um, basically what I'm doing now is uh, focusing on uh, coronavirus, uh, the Floyd stuff, and things that are going on in, in, the, in society today, 
And so I write two columns a week and I'm, I'm, I'm in quarantine essentially. I don't go out that much, maybe once a week on errands. So I'm, uh, I'm just basically trying to be what I, I changed my Twitter profile to a wartime columnist because I do think we're in kind of a wartime right now. And I'm just trying to write stories that resonate with people that give them information that they don't know and, and with a strong point of view by me as a columnist. So that's my main focus, you know, in my job. Wow. So um, what do you see? Because, you know, we got to talk about fraud a little bit here or, or a lot, as the case may be. You've been doing this for a long time. So what do you see in now? Because, I mean, you, you're the guy that people talk to to investigate things like when when something's not right in society you're the first person that they may call so what do you see in now versus you know even three three months ago um what's what's the trend what are you hearing out there um who's taking advantage of who what's tell me all about that well, you know, it's not really three months. It's, it's basically what my theory is, is around, around 2005, the society began to shift to the point where before 2005, you had a better than even chance of whoever you were dealing with, whether it be the phone company, the electric company, the guy at your door, they were probably going to be honest and they were probably going to treat you correctly and fairly. But then around 2005 till now, it's the opposite. Uh, I have, you can't trust anybody. You have to assume that even the car company that you bought the car from or AT&T or whoever it is, is going to mistreat you. And you have to go the opposite way. I, I was brought up to believe that give everybody the benefit of the doubt, fool me once, you know, shame on, you know, you fool me twice, shame on me. But now it's like, you know, fool me, fool me, fool me, fool me. That's just, that's what's going on all the time. And it's, it's harder than ever to find an honest person. And the way that's most exhibited is in home contracting. Mm-hmm. I don't know how it is for the viewers and listeners and readers who are following this podcast, but here in Texas, if you hire a home contractor to come into your house to maybe put on a roof or to redo your kitchen or something like that, there's a very, very good chance. I mean, we're talking 40% chance that that person will take the money from you and not complete the job because there's no real rules. There's no licensing for them. There's no way they're going to be held accountable. Police aren't going to go after them. And so I constantly hear from people who've been screwed really badly for lots and lots of money by guys who showed up, who promised to do a job, took the money and then didn't complete it. And this is happening to a lot of people, not only the elderly, but to uh, folks who are younger, but, the elderly especially are losing, losing a lot of money in, in stuff like this. And it's, it's just heartbreaking and I can't keep up with it, you know? Wow. Now let's, let's back up a little bit. Cause I do want to talk about this. Cause, cause you know, my parents are down there um, and storms come through all the time and hail and tornadoes and like, it's a, uh, it's a contractor's dream down there <laughs> to, for, for home damage. But, what do you think happened in 2005? Was it a sh- was it one event? Was it a cultural shift somehow, like a shift in thought? Because you've seen the trends for years. So what what do you attribute that 2005 shift to? Okay, so it's a number a year that I've picked without scientific study, but just based on anecdotal feeling. And what contributed to it was the fact that these guys who do this, whatever we want to call them, um, they basically began to use the internet as their main tool to attract oh, okay. 
And they also began to use Google, which has been incredibly slow in picking up on the fact that it was very easy for crooks to game Google. So that's really what happened. And now Google has started to clamp down on the fraudsters who were using their website and search engines uh, rankings to, to, so, okay, here's how it would work. You would, you would, one of the most crooked businesses in America, and I don't think a lot of people realize this, is garage door repair companies. Really? Yeah. Because huh. a couple of companies um, have basically bought up hundreds and hundreds of domain names. So say in Dallas, you have this very well-known decades-long company that's very reputable called Overhead Door Company of Dallas. Yeah. Uh -huh. So these other companies buy names like Dallas Overhead Doors. So they have the words in there, but they flip, they flip it. So when you go to Google, you're looking for the company that you want, but you end up on somebody else's website who's pretending to be them. And when you ask them if they're them, they lie and say, yeah, we're them. Oh, and then wow. they go to your house and they charge you $2,000 for a job that should cost $200. And that happened, yeah. that's happening in, in, in like a lot of professions now, locksmithing. You know, you want to go to your neighborhood locksmith, but you're not going to find him because somebody's bought all those different domains that you're going to get confused and you're going to go to the wrong one. And it even happens in government. So when you, when you want to get your, your Texas driver's license, the chances of you ending up at a middleman fake site that's not the Texas government are, are very high. And you'll really? end up paying for the driver's license, plus you'll pay a finder's fee, and you won't even realize that you were not on the government website. Because they game the system and they push their stuff up higher. So in, in another area, like in electricity, we have this website called PowerToChoose.org, which is put out by the state of Texas to help you shop for electricity and uh -huh. all the different plans and all the different companies. So what some of the crooked electric companies do is they use the words power to choose in their, in their name or in their summary, their metadata. So when you look for PowerToChoose.org, you end up with one of the other companies and you don't realize it and you're, you're, you're not at the place you want to be. And it's real easy to fool people. And just wow. in your life, for example, like let's say you're looking up Disney World. You uh -huh. want to take the kids to Disney World. Well, the first couple of sites may be ticket sales for Disney World that are through middlemen. Mm -hmm. You might have to go three, four, five spots down to actually find the Disney site that you're going to because right. the other ones pack it up on top. And a lot of people don't, don't realize that. They just click on the first one they come to and that they don't realize that it's not the actual site. So when I buy tickets for a play or, or something like that, you know, you have all these middleman ticket guys that show up before you get to the box office of the theater. I only want to buy from the box office of the theater, but to get there, I have to crawl past all these other guys that are pretending to be them, but they're going to charge much higher fees. That's, that's the summary of, of how the deception using the internet is, is essentially, you know, making it much easier for crooks to, 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 to defraud you. Wow. Okay. So then, um, people contact you when something hasn't gone right. Yeah. When they contact me, they've tried uh, a, a bunch of ways to fix whatever it is they're trying to fix. And so I created this consumer rights movement um, that, uh, that it's called Watchdog Nation. Okay. And what it does is it teaches you how to protect yourself so that none of this stuff happens to you. And, now, and, it, now, is that like a website people can go to or? Uh, um, yeah. Um, the web, the, the, there is a website called watchdognation.com, but my primary site for this stuff is at dallasnews.com slash watchdog. Okay. And, Let's say I got a letter yesterday from somebody, you know, and I, and I did, uh, who had some problem with some company. They couldn't get a refund on 
on some travel trip they made. And that's really an issue right now during the, the during this period is people put in these vacation plans. They paid a lot of money for tickets and whatnot, and they're having a hard time getting a refund. So I created this technique called flood the zone. And I teach them that what they need to do is complain to these various entities about this company. And the company will then start to get heat from these regulators, these entities, and they'll give you your money back because you're not worth the, the, the trouble. Give you an example. Let's say that company ABC has taken your money for something and you can't get it back, a trip or whatever. So you, uh, you figure out where the company is headquartered and you file a complaint with the, secretary, with the attorney general of that home state. You file a complaint with the attorney general of your home state. You file a complaint with the Federal Trade Commission. Oh. You file a complaint with the Better Business Bureau. And you file a complaint if there's a regulator for, for, that, for that company too, a state regulator or a federal regulator. Mm-hmm. And all of a sudden, these complaints go out. And there's consumerfinance.org, which is the U.S. Consumer Financial Protection Bureau. That's another one. And all these complaints that you send out online, they all go out. And eventually, the company starts hearing from these entities. They get letters saying, you know, we've got a complaint about you. Most of the time, the company will just say, oh, this ain't worth it. They just give you back your money because you flooded the zone. Yeah. You see? Oh, wow. And so um, so it, is that on watchdognation.com, like that, your whole system? Because that is fantastic, like for consumer protection. Yeah. Where, where can so, we get that? This is, this is where the system is in my book. Okay. Oh, it's in your book. Okay. Yeah. This is where the, the best place for it. And it comes with a membership card. And I swear, when I teach people how to do this, I swear them in. I, I give them an oath of office and they become citizens of Watchdog Nation. So a lot of people write me, this, this thing's been going on for now, uh, since 2008 when I created it. Uh-huh. So when people write to me with their problems, they sometimes sign off, you know, hey, you know, I'm a fellow member of Watchdog Nation, John Smith. Oh, okay. There's, a, there's thousands of people that consider themselves to be members of the Watchdog Nation. And the primary idea of it is, that you are the one who controls things and you have to be suspicious and you have to be smart and you have to trust your gut. When a little voice in your head says something's not right, listen to it because it's right. Something is not right. Wow. Okay. So let's go back to the garage door people, the roofers, the hardwood floor guys that uh, are going to take your money and run what is the is there a tip-off like is there a a trend that you see for how they're doing this like what do people need to look for especially with these guys well uh longevity so how long have they been in business Mm -hmm. do they have a storefront or an office that's physical or do they operate out of a pickup truck Um, on their truck does it say the name of the company do they have contracts that have the name company of the company? I, I always say, if you're going to hire someone to do something like put on a roof, you ought to know who they are, where they live. Do they have a family? You want to research them on Facebook. You want to look them up. You type in the words in Google. You type in, you know, Joe Blow Roofing, Arlington, Texas, and scam. Joe Blow Roofing, Arlington, Texas, and ripoff, and complaints, and reviews. The reason I, I came up with this is because I hired a roofer who turned out to be a crook. Oh, no. He, he, filed, I, he filed bankruptcy and he ended up getting convicted of theft. And I didn't Google him uh, like that. And if I had, I would have found out that he actually had all these complaints against him. But I just essentially trusted him because he was uh, recommended by my insurance agent unknowingly. Didn't know that the guy had turned crooked. Oh, wow. Once I had that experience, I didn't lose any money on it, fortunately. But once I had that experience, 
I began to see that I could not trust people anymore. And I had to figure out who they were, where they lived. You know, I, I can look up their driver's license um, and see where they live and, you know, things like that, that I, little, little, little clues that tell you where, whether somebody is honest or not. And, and, and it takes about 10 minutes, actually. It's not a big deal. So you just search for the background information on that person. And you don't just do it on the first page of Google because a lot of these guys figure out how to game the system. So they pack the first page with good stuff. Right. You got to go deeper into it, two, three, four, five pages in and make sure you're not missing anything. Yeah. Okay. So we know how to research people and some of the signs. What's the craziest fraud case that's come across your desk? You know, there are so many that whatever one I'm working on at that moment is the craziest one. Um, I, I couldn't even begin to, 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 to pick one out because there, there are so many of them. And I've written since 2005. I've been doing this now for 15 years. I've written two a week for 15 years. So, I mean, I have, you pick a, pick a category, you know, name something and I probably have well, found. what was the one you said you talked about with AARP last week? That sounded um, right. intense. Uh, yeah. Um, it's the Bernie Madoff thing where you get, you get, a, you, you have a guy who like totally owns you, uh, loves you, cares for you, gets you to invest all your money. And then of course you lose it all. Mm -hmm. And we had a big case here this year, uh, a fellow named Doc Gallagher. Um, he was on the radio. He had four different AM radio stations that he would buy advertising time. And you'd listen to him on Saturday and he'd be talking about financial <clears throat> investments and come to my office and we'll set you up. And he went around the community and he just indoctrinated himself into people's lives. He hosted events. He invited people to movie nights at the theater where he'd rent out the theater. He'd send you flowers. I mean, he was a, one of the most charming guys you'll ever meet. And he basically defrauded people out of somewhere between 20 million and a hundred million dollars. It's a little confusing to me looking at the court papers, how much the actual money is, but now he's in prison for the rest of his life. He's 79 years old. He just got sentenced to 25 years. Oh. But the way he did it was he, he, he got you to totally trust him. And you thought he was a doctor of financial matters, but it turns out that his PhD was from Brown University in 1981, and it was for philosophy. And I've got a copy of his doctoral thesis, which he called The Concept of Blame. So, and then I wrote about a letter he wrote to one of his victims from, from jail where he blamed the media, uh, people like me, for, for, for getting this wrong and exaggerating it. So even though he's a doctor of, of, of philosophy and the concept of blame, he doesn't live by it. He, he blamed everybody else. He never really accepted responsibility. But he's left in his wake hundreds of seniors who lost their life savings or most of it or part of their life savings. Yeah, because those Ponzi schemes melt down uh, at some point or another. And... Uh, I, I've talked to people who've run them. I've talked to people who've been defrauded by them. So what's your take on the sign to spot something like that? Well, um, if you're, if you're, if you have to put money into something to get it going, that's, that's probably not a good thing. Um, if you, uh, let's see, if you um, have to recruit other people to, to do this, you know, like a Ponzi scheme, mm -hmm. that's not a good thing. If you get a check in the mail that you that they want you to do, uh, shop, uh, what do they call it, mystery shopping, and you're supposed to go to Walmart and report back, and they send you a check for $3,800, and you go to the bank, and you cash it, and you send them part of the money back, because that's the plan they give you, 
that's that's a scam. You know, anything that involves you putting up money to get more money is a scam. Like all the lottery things where they say you won $5 million in the Irish sweepstakes, um, but to get it, the finder's fee is $4,000. You send me $4,000, I'll get you your millions. That's a scam. Uh, it just, you know. Now, have you heard uh, much about work-at-home scams these days? Because yeah. um, yeah. uh, I've heard a lot about that. You know, anytime you have to use your own account or buy anything up front, right? Uh, like what, what are you hearing uh, on your end? Well, that's just the basic advertisement that says, you know, work at home, earn hundreds of dollars a day by, you know, sending out envelopes or whatever it is. Then, then you contact them because you're desperate. You need money and you can't go out because you've got to watch your kids or your elderly father or whatever it is. So you need to work at home. So then they ask you to send them money to get it started to help with the supplies. And so you spend $500 and you get all these envelopes and letters that you're supposed to mail out. And, you know, you're out $500. You'll never see that money again. Yeah. Well, and if you have to uh, give them access to your account for anything like that, like bank login info, and, well, and people are so desperate right now that they're doing it and don't even realize it. Yeah. See, I have a rule that, you know, when someone comes to my door, I don't, I don't talk to them because I didn't ask them to come. So if somebody calls me to try and sell me something, I don't talk to them because I didn't want to buy it. I didn't go looking for them. And, 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 and if you're asked to put money into something, you don't do it. And you just got to really basically say that nobody out there is looking out for you. The police aren't looking out for you. The regulators aren't really looking out for you because they're overwhelmed and they're not, not enough of them. So you really have to be yourself there for yourself. There was a great Greek philosopher named Epictetus and Epictetus said, you know, everybody's going to have bad stuff happen to them. But the idea is how do you handle it once it happens? Mm -hmm. So then uh, what's your track record on helping people recover uh, from some of this fraud. Cause once, once the Dallas morning news comes calling, people gotta be shaking in their boots a little bit. Like what are you, uh, what are you doing when you get a complaint? Tell us about that. Well, so I maybe get a hundred a month. Let's just to pick a random number. And I mm -hmm. only do eight, eight or nine stories per month. So mm -hmm. one of the reasons I created watchdog nation was to teach people who I can't help with an article in the paper, how to fix it themselves. So I have a lot of success with, well, for example, a lady wrote to me the other day and she said, I got my stimulus check from the federal government, but it came in the form of a visa card and I thought it was a scam. And so I cut it up into little pieces. And then only later did I find out that that was actually my, my, my stimulus check. Cause they didn't, the government didn't announce that all of a sudden stimulus checks were coming out in, in visa cards. Right. She said, how do I get the money now? And so I obviously could tell her to call the IRS, but that would be a terrible waste of her time because trying to get through and then trying to have them help you and then send you another. Yeah, that's ridiculous. So, so who do you go to who, has, who can pressure the IRS to, um, to help you? Who do you? Who's going to give you that pressure, help put their hands on the neck? And so the answer I sent her was contact your congressman because your congressman oversees the IRS and um, if the congressman's caseworker contacts the IRS on your behalf, the IRS is much more likely to send you another card because it's not me. It's the, IRS, it's the congressman's office. Mm -hmm. So you find out who is overseeing that agency or that group or that business or whoever. If it's a bank, for example, that's hurting you and that happens a lot, uh -huh. you go check out who the bank regulator is. And there's three or four different bank regulators. You know, there's the office of the controller of the currency and then there's the uh, there's a consumer finance protection 
group. And then there's um, also um, the Federal Reserve. They, they, and state banks are regulated by, the, say, the Texas Department of Banking or the Alabama Department of Banking. Sure. So you don't complain to the bank because that's really not going to work. So you go to their regulator who's above them who squeezes them on your behalf. Oh, I love that. Ooh, that is good. Now, are you hearing, um, how are banks doing? Are you hearing about them supporting people or not? Well, yeah, what's, I mean, what's going on today? When the, when the payroll protection program or in the economic impact loans started to go out and the banks were overwhelmed and didn't know how to handle it, I got a lot of complaints about banks not being able to help people who needed help because they were just overwhelmed. But now they've sort of caught up and they're coming after people and saying, you know, would you like that loan? Cause we can help you now. So that, you know, but yeah, so banks, banks went through a, a terrible time in that first month, but now they've sort of settled into it. Oh yeah. I, I think, I think you're right. I think also, um, this really, I think what we, what we saw with this makes the case for community banks, like the, the small oh. banks. Cause a lot of, um, a lot of people were able to, get their money like from the community banks because they were able to get be higher on their list and where we had the big corporations who were in bed with like chase you know i i missed out on the first round i wasn't planning on getting anything i and, and eventually um you know second round came through and sure enough um i was able to be funded but man i was just like well i guess i'm out of luck here uh and you know it's funny because community banks are some of my uh clients and, and I just wasn't in their community because <laughs> they're off in South Dakota or Alabama or wherever they are. And uh, man, I was feeling it though. I'm like, man, this is the case for it. So um, yeah, local well, banking, there's, there's something to be said for it. Well, and don't forget the credit unions. I, I have an expression that I say that there's a reason why they call it bankruptcy and not credit union rupsy. Oh, okay. Talk about that a little bit. Well, just the fact that you don't really hear a lot of problems with credit unions. Mm -hmm. You know, they don't get involved in scandals. Um, they know your name when you walk in there. It's just a whole different thing. But a lot of people don't realize that credit unions are much easier to deal with than banks. Oh, yeah. Well, the and you know, uh, the bankers, I, I was at a bank conference. I was speaking and I heard the, the president of the bank association got up and just, it was this hate filled speech against credit unions because they have different regulations than banks do. And um, I had no idea at the time, but I was, I was kind of in shock at the back of the room. Like, wow. So there's definitely animosity there in different regulations, but we as consumers can, can really take advantage of, of some of that, uh, and, and especially in, t in times like this where they do know your name. Yeah. And you do need to shop. Um, I have a nonprofit and I needed to move the money from the nonprofit from California to Texas. And so I shopped it and uh, the first bank I went to, oh yeah, we'll take it, but it's gonna cost you $25 a month, blah, 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 blah. So I went to the credit union and they're like, oh yeah, we'll do it for free. We'll take mm -hmm. your money, we'll keep it. There won't be any fees, there won't be any charges at all. Just keep it here and you'll be fine. Yeah. Yeah. There, there's so much out there and uh, it does just take a little bit of research. And so um, tell, tell me about this. What kind of hate mail do you get? The only time I get hate mail is uh, if I mention Trump. Oh, <laughs> I, I get that too. Any kind of uh, politics. So I basically wrote a story the other day 
which I said, this is a commencement address to the class of 2020, college and high school. Mm-hmm. And in the story, I essentially apologized and said, you know, we've ruined it for you. You guys missed out on a lot of stuff. And I attributed to the fact that baby boomers, of which I'm a member of, have failed in leadership capacities in many ways. And then as an example, I went through the baby boomer presidents. So I said, the first baby boomer president was Bill Clinton, and he he got, he couldn't control his, he had no willpower. And the mm-hmm. second baby boomer president was George W., and he put us in a war that we shouldn't have been in. And the third baby boomer president was Barack Obama, and he refused to play footsie with Congress to get things done. And the fourth baby boomer is, well, you get the idea. Uh-huh. And so I didn't name Trump, but I still left it out there, and I didn't get a single letter of complaint. But if I had actually said the word Trump, I would have heard from a few people who would have like just you know jumped off the roof to 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 to, to grab me. So that's really the only. Before I started the Watchdog, I used to get tons of hate mail about all kinds of subjects. But now the public understands that I'm on their side, and there's really no point in you know, hating me because I'm really trying to help them save their money and be smarter about their decisions. Oh, that's so, good. I, I love that you've turned the corner there. That's, that's pretty cool. It, yeah. and, and it, ta- it takes time to, to do that and really a very loyal following. So. Yeah, well, and I'm fortunate because when people write me nasty letters, they sometimes say, you know, I'm a big fan of your column, but on this one, I disagree with. And, mm-hmm. you know, I respect that. And I, you know, but every once in a while you get somebody who just comes after you and, you know, I write back everybody. And so they don't expect to get a reply. So normally after I write them back with understanding and sympathy and whatever, they kind of calm down and they apologize, which is a kind of a cool phenomenon too. Oh, I love that. Oh, good job on that. So um, I, was, I was taught to treat people properly, even if they don't treat me properly to come back and treat them properly. And then usually I can turn them around. Oh, good. Oh, and I think that's pretty wise um, just for anybody these days because there is a lot of division and sometimes it's better to not know about it and just have a friend, but uh, it's always good to diffuse things as, as much as you can and treat people how, because they're just upset. They need an outlet and um, just understanding that exactly. that someone has listened to them, I think can can really calm calm some nerves these days because gosh we have so much to be uh upset about these days between the uh riots and protests and virus and all the economic stuff with that so um yeah okay so let's talk about because you have some other cool projects going on and i want to make sure that that folks really know about it because i'm super excited about it you're a playwright yeah as of as of a year ago yeah so Tell us about about the play, how it's going, uh, where people can see it, um, what it's about, like the whole thing. Well, okay, so the play is called Eamon, the Ultimate Texan, and it's about a fellow named Eamon Carter, who was Mr. Fort Worth and ran Fort Worth, which is now the 13th largest city in the country, ran Fort Worth for 50 years because he owned the newspaper, the radio station, and the TV station. And so he used that power to promote Fort Worth and Texas. And so I wrote a play about him because people here in Fort Worth, everything is named after him all over town. Nobody really remembers him because he died in 55. So only the very older people have him. So the play was performed 32 times um, in the past year. And we had 25 performances scheduled for this year, but they've been canceled because of the the virus. We have a play coming up, though, at the end of this month where we're doing it in a ballroom for, for a foundation as a benefit. And now I've finished my second play. 
And it's, it's, if Carter is, Eamon Carter was Fort Worth, the fellow I'm doing is Mr. Dallas, and you've heard of him. His name is Ross Pro. Oh, boy. Oh, that'll be fun. I want to come see that one, too. And that one is now going into rehearsal, and, and uh, it might come out in September, October. It's hard to say what's going on with the theater. But I'm also writing a book uh, to go with it. That as I wrote, I wrote a book to go with uh, the Eamon Carter play, and so now I'm writing a book to go with the Perot play. Uh, I think it's the tentative title for it is called Searching for Perot, My Journey to Discover Texas Top Family. Oh, I love that. Oh, so I didn't appreciate them and I didn't really understand them. And I wrote a lot of critical stuff about them in the paper. Mm -hmm. And it took me this play to begin to understand how they have had such an important place in Texas history. Oh, I love that. That uh, that's fantastic. We're going to have to make sure we keep everyone updated on when we can come and, and see your plays. I, I can't wait because you're actually a, um, because you do so much watchdog stuff. I, I don't think people really understand the depth of your, because uh, you're a fantastic speaker. I've heard you speak. Thank and, you. Um, and you're really, you really have a, a grasp on storytelling mm -hmm. and how to uh, make whatever uh, topic <laughs> super compelling. So if, considering how we just talked about, you know, turning people around your way and, um, ultimately ending, uh, with, with people liking you so that they're listening and, and knowing that you're on their side, how does storytelling play into that? Like what are one or two tips that, that people can take so that they are more persuasive and having things go their way a lot more in their life? Well, I like to tell people that I'm the president of the anti-bullet point society. Mm. Business has been ruined in the past 20 years because of PowerPoint and bullet points. And so teachers in college teach students with bullet points and they read off slides. And that's not the way that people communicate and understand and remember. The way they understand and remember is through stories. So at the workplace, we're, doing, we're, we're bogged down with facts, figures, statistics, bullet points, and PowerPoint. But yet we go home at night, we watch TV because we want to see stories. Right. And so if we could just convert that storytelling culture back into the workplace, then we're able to win more fans. And business storytelling is, is, a, is a giant movement in America. It really is. All yeah. over the world, really, people have realized to reach people's heart and emotion, they need to tell stories. And there's a certain way to tell a story, which is, I call it Dave's V-shaped storytelling formula, where you, the hero goes out into the world, meets the villain, the villain drives the hero down to the bottom of the V, which is the low point of the story. Then the hero overcomes the villain and goes up to the climax of the story. So it's this V. And that's the way most good stories are. You know, I had cat, cat died, got new cat. <laughs> yeah, I guess it's just that simple. Uh, but but the, the way you do it with, the, with crafting is, um, is fantastic. So, you know, people listening that are, um, that are in sales or, or in leadership could, I think, really uh, take a lesson from, from your um, strategies on, on storytelling. And so, so people can, can read your articles, right? They can read your column online. Where can they, where can they find that? Dallasnews.com slash watchdog. Okay. Um, what I recommend for people on storytelling is to look, look at my TED talk, which is called The Power of Storytelling to Change the World. Oh, okay. Oh, that sounds good. Now, is it TED or TEDx? TEDx. 
Okay. And it, um, it's very popular um, and it it's, uh, just basically lays out the formula along with my personal life story about how I moved to Texas from New York, didn't fit in, and then overcame it, you know, and so. Oh, I love that. Okay, so it's TEDx and what did you say? Where was it, did you say? Well, you can get that at, at DaveLieber.org. Okay. There's a lot of ways people can find you. You've made yourself easy to yeah. find. And, um, and, and they can find you to speak as well. Now, now do, I know you speak on, uh, I've seen your storytelling program that you've done at our National Speakers Association chapter mm -hmm. here. Um, what do you normally speak on? Uh, tell me, tell everyone about that so, so that they just can't help but pick up the phone and call you. Well, businesses basically bring me in to teach them how to tell their story because they, they essentially forgot, forgot it. So I do high tech companies and I do governments that have social programs. Um, and I do, uh, you know, purchasing companies and airlines and whoever basically is looking hospitals want to figure out how to get their employees to tell their stories, both internally and externally. When I go to community groups and I speak probably 80 to 120 times a year, when I go to community groups, I'll, I might tell them the story about moving to Texas uh, and fitting in from New York, or I might teach them how to be citizens of Watchdog Nation, or I might uh, teach them uh, about Eamon Carter and how he, he, he basically was this brilliant marketer. And then next year, I'll be teaching people about Perot. So I have a, a, a pretty good catalog. And I, I've gone to groups, you know, three, four times um, with all these different stories. Oh, I love that. I love that. Okay, so we're going to circle back around here before we wrap it up. What's the number one tip that you have for folks listening so that they um, can, I guess, be a super effective member of Watchdog Nation and just not be defrauded in any way? It's pretty simple. You have this voice in, in your head. Some people call it your subconscious. Some people call it your muse. And, you know, this voice in your head is like going, hey, I don't trust this guy. You, you know, he didn't answer that question. But you, 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 you don't listen to the voice. You go ahead and just sign the papers or whatever. So my, my number one piece of advice is, you know, your, your muse is protecting you. Listen to it. Open up your ears and listen to that little voice in your head because he or she is trying to protect you. Got it. Yeah, I think um, if people just paid a little more attention, and you know, that's what I teach people to do, because the signs of deception are, are all there. So between just right. listening to yourself and understanding the, the trends of fraud, and even uh, knowing a little bit of lie detection, um, I think I think we got a better, uh, a better world on our hands, or at least you can make your own world better. So Watchdog Nation, um, DaveLieber.org. Thank you so much for coming on Fraud Besting. You're just awesome. Thanks, Tracy. Thanks for joining me. Make sure you subscribe to this podcast, rate and review it. I'll see you next time.